Revelation this morning. Um, last week, I did not turn my microphone on, or I didn't turn it all the way on, so the people online were unable to hear the sermon, and on top of that, we were unable to record the audio of the sermon, so all of our uh, ways that we communicate uh, uh, to those uh, who are either unable, who are un unable to attend right now, were, um, um, <laughs> were turned off. I guess that's the best way to put it. So that was totally my fault. Um, but I woke up this morning having prepared to preach uh, the last part of Romans chapter 12, the last three words where it tells us to serve the Lord. And you would think that sounds like a pretty easy text to preach, right? Three words, serve the Lord. Um, but number one, uh, a sermon is ready. Number two is I'm not at all completely comfortable with that sermon uh, because it's one of those things sometimes when you start digging into certain words in the Bible, all of a sudden you realize um, there's a lot more there than meets the eye, okay? And so there's actually two, of the three words, there's two words at the end of Romans chapter 12 that... I'm at least going to need a couple of more weeks to study on before I can preach it. I mean, because um, one is the word doulos. That's translated in your Bible, servant. That is, not, that is not the right translation. And I don't care what most every tran English translation I looked at translates that word servant. It is not the appropriate translation. It is the word slave. Okay. That's a hot button. That's a hot word in our world, right? Um, there's a story behind why English translations translate that slave. I mean, servant rather than slave. We'll get into that in about two weeks. Matter of fact, it'll be the Sunday after, uh, not next Sunday, but the next Sunday. Um, and then the word for Lord, which is curios, um, which is another word that is woefully misunderstood by myself and just by the the church at large um, we, we i mean we have conceptually we've got some kind of idea but we're still missing the boat on both of those words so we'll come back to those all right when i'm uh, i'm more ready and prepared to bring that to you so uh but this morning when i got up yeah i was really struggling whether whether to preach romans 12 12 and then the Lord just kind of laid it on my heart about 4.45 this morning as I'm sitting in my study at home to take you back to the book of Revelation, to chapter 3, verse 14 through 22. I made mention of this last week, and, and I really felt like um, in light of those who weren't able to attend or hear last week's sermon, and for those of you that were here, this is a great sermon to build off of, uh, to really help us um, root ourselves in obeying the command of Romans 12, 12. Remember the first half of it, or the first two-thirds of it? It says, do not be lazy in zeal, right? Or slothful in zeal. Slothful is the word lazy. But what does it say? Be fervent in spirit, okay? So the same command, one in a positive a negative light, don't be lazy in zeal. That's the negative side of the command. The positive side, be fervent in spirit. And we said that word fervent is the word for boil. It literally means to boil in the spirit. And we also said that uh, the, the little two-letter word be is important because it tells us that this is an ongoing, continuous action. But we also talked about how you know, being fervent in spirit or boiling in the spirit is not the way most of us live our Christianity on a day-in and day-out basis. And, and, and for most of us, our experience is we tend to be a lot more uh, of the first part of that statement, which is don't be lazy in zeal, okay? We, we seem to break that commandment with, with regularity. And so we, we, last week, we tried to help ourselves, uh, number one, how to be more consistent in not being lazy and being more consistent 
and being fervent in spirit. And so I gave you some action steps at the end, right? An acronym, PREP, P-R-E-P. And so we, we, we kind of went through how to get prepped, how to prep ourselves every day to do what? So that God can boil us in the spirit. Because remember what I said last week? This is not something that we can do on our own or that we can do to ourselves. It's something that we have to put ourselves in the proximity of. Why? Because this is something that only God can do. And we talked about, we got honest last week about our frustrations of the times in our life where we have realized that we are cold or, or maybe not, or cold spiritually or lukewarm spiritually. And, and then we go through all this religious rigor to try to get ourselves, as I use that 80s terminology, uh, uh, that on fire for God. That was a big term back in the 80s and the 90s in Christianity. And, and yet, most of us find ourselves frustrated in even that because, again, we, we try to go through some kind of mechanical process to light ourselves on fire. And really, the only mechanical part that we play in this is that we got to get ourselves in, you remember I said, in the way or in the place where God can come and He can light the fire. You need to think about your life as an altar. You, you've got to do everything you possibly can to prep the altar for God. Think of, all right, how about this? How about Elijah? Do you remember the showdown on, on, on Mount, it just depends on where you're from, Carmel or Caramel? You know, I don't know how you go about that, but, you know, whatever your way of pronouncing that is, whatever. But they're up on the mountain and what did God tell him to do? I want you to prep the altar in this manner, and then what? Wait. That's, that's a great example of what we are to do in order to uh, keep ourselves fervent in the Spirit and to prevent ourselves from being slothful in zeal, is that we have to prepare ourselves daily so that what? So that God can send the fire, so that God can... Make us boil in the Spirit so that, God, so that the Holy Spirit can energize us uh, not to fall into patterns of laziness spiritually. And so I, I, I referenced last week Revelation chapter 3 as a text that kind of shows us uh, a, a church, a group of people that had fallen into a lack of zeal, and who were not burning or boiling in the Spirit. And so what I thought we would do this morning is go back. We've looked at this text before, uh, so I didn't change a lot about this sermon. I, I did add a little bit here and there, um, but it would but be very familiar to a sermon that I've preached in the past called The Doctor is at the Door, when the great physician visits his church or his parish. That's just a fancy word for church there. So Hopefully you found Revelation chapter 3, and you will look at me, whether in your Bible or on your device, or ever how you're looking at God's Word this morning. You'll look with me beginning in verse 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Okay, now... If you have a red-letter Bible, you see that these words are in red. So though John is writing these words, it is literally Jesus speaking to his church. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So, because that you were neither cold nor hot or hot, I will spit you out of my mouth, or spew, or vomit. For I say to you, verse 17, for, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich and white, rich and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Verse 19, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Look at here, so be 
zealous, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on the throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In episode three, uh, in season three, episode 24, entitled Aunt B's Medicine Man. I'm talking about the Andy Griffith show, for those of you that aren't familiar with who Aunt B is. Aunt B is seduced by what is called a medicine man. Anybody remember his name? Colonel Harvey. The colonel promises that he is 170 proof tonic. Woo! provides temporary relief from midlife crisis. Because that's what was going on with Aunt B. She was kind of in the throes of a midlife crisis. This promise appeals to Aunt B because, you know, she's struggling with various issues in her life. And, and part of what brought on this issue with Aunt B and, and, and this struggle is uh, she had a good friend who had recently passed away named Augustus Finch. Don't you love these old names? Finch was the same age as Aunt B, so her death, this good friend of Aunt B's, along with B's ailments, because she's, you know, she's gotten older and there's some creaks and aches and pains that weren't there a few years ago that all of a sudden have shown up. And then the fact when you have somebody that's your, your age that dies, right? Those creaks and aches and pains seemed to get louder and more prevalent and more consistent. And what happens is this just sends poor old Aunt B down the rabbit hole. I mean, she just, she, I mean, she is beside herself. So as she hears uh, the colonel's offer of this renewal tonic, this restoration tonic, for just $1, her hope is renewed. And so guess what? She buys some of the colonel's elixir. Now, in her zeal to buy this product, which she does, she does not follow the label as instructed by Colonel Harvey, which, guess what? That's pretty common. A lot of people, you know, they're like, hey, more is better, right? It's funny, we, we go out to uh, deal with customers in pest control, and they'll be like, I've been treating these roaches for a year now, and, and it's just like that stuff I spray is just feeding them. They're growing. It's not killing them. And so I'm like, well, do you, do, what, are you, what are you spraying? And so they'll come out with this bottle. Yeah, I went down to the co-op. I've been meaning to talk to Matthew about this too. They need to have some kind of educational course down at the co-op on how to use pesticides, all right? And yeah, I bought this bottle, and they got this jug, and they got a one-gallon sprayer sitting in the corner. Well, they take that jug, and they just it's a gallon. They just pour the whole gallon in the jug, and they start spraying just pure chemical all inside their house. Well, if you read the label, the label will say, you know, mix like one ounce, half ounce, quarter ounce to a gallon of water. This is, this is super dangerous. And people think, well, well here's, their, here's their mindset, right? The more, the better. If I, if, I, if I don't dilute it and cut it, and if I just spray all one gallon at one time, I'll get rid of my pest issues. And actually what they do is that it actually, the pesticide will not work. Why? Because it's not applied properly. And Aunt B is this way about this elixir that the good Colonel Harvey has developed. So Aunt B just goes home and she drinks it all. Well, there's a little problem with the elixir. <laughs> Andy and Barney come home that afternoon, right? To find the once depressed and distraught B singing to the top of her lungs the Colonel's elixir work. Suspicious, Andy and Barney both are a little suspicious that the colonel's elixir is not all that it's cracked up to be. 
that there actually might be some validity to the 170 proof, but it has nothing to do with medicine. And so they take the, the, the doc's elixir and they have it test by a guy named Dr. Andrews. And the test revealed that the elixir is 85% alcohol. You see, Aunt B hasn't been delivered from her depression. She's just drunk. She's just absolutely drunk. You see, Colonel Harvey, in reality, he's no medicine man. He's just a manipulator of human psychology. He possesses no credentials uh, to practice medicine, only knowledge of human weakness that allows him to peddle his remedies on poor people like Aunt B. So what does that have to do with today's text? Well, Colonel Harvey was no doctor. He had not gone to school. He didn't have any credentials. There was no, uh, his little wagon that he pulled uh, behind that he had his elixirs in. Uh, there was no document hanging inside of that uh, uh, pull behind that he had that, that said that he had been to school, that he had any kind of degree in pharmacology or any kind of degree in medicine. He was just simply a self-proclaimed man who had no credentials to do what he was doing. Again, he was simply preying on the psychology of people who were in desperate need of medical attention. Today's text tells us of a doctor who has come to the door of the church. He's come for a house call. And he has not been summoned by the parishioners because they are oblivious for their need of help. And so he begins his conversation like any doctor. I, I, don't, I, mean, I don't go to doctors much. I try to stay away from doctors as much as possible. Not that I don't like doctors, but I just don't like going to doctors, right? I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, if you enjoy going to a doctor, I, I, I can't even get into your world, okay? Because that, that's the last person I want to see. But when I do go to a doctor... I like to see credentials hanging on the wall. I'd like to kind of check out, you know, not that the school necessarily is important. I just want to know that he's had the training or she's had the training that they need to have in order to do what I need them to do for me. And so what Jesus does here in this, in this opening uh, verse, back in verse 14, is that he begins his conversation by stating his credentials. And so the reason why you and I need to listen, not to me this morning, but the reason why we need to listen to this text this morning is because someone with credentials has come to us and is laying out for us a great problem that we all either are in currently, have been in in the past, or will be in in the future. Listen, this is a... This is an experience that every Christian has in their life. And so you and I need to pay close attention. Again, we may not be in a lukewarm state this morning, but that doesn't mean that we can't be in one tomorrow or next week or next year. And so we need to pay attention. And if you are in that state this morning, then by all means, you need to pay even closer attention to this one who bears the credentials to diagnose what ails your soul. You see, he wants them to know that he's no fraud. He's no Colonel Harvey. Look at what he, he, how he describes himself back in verse 14. Look at verse 14. How does he describe himself? He says about himself that he is the what? That he is the, the amen. That he is the amen. This is a unique title given only to Jesus. And it's, used, and it's used here in Scripture to describe Christ. You see, the word amen is literally a transliteration of the Hebrew word meaning truth, affirmation, or certainty. So when you say amen, what are you doing? You are affirming the truth of what has been spoken. You are saying, yes, that is a certain truth. It refers to that which is firm, that which is fixed, that which is, and I like this, unchangeable. 
if you really wanted to be sound, well, not be, but if you wanted to sound super spiritual, you would use the word immutable. That means unchangeable. It's firm, it's fixed, it's unchangeable. Not only is Jesus the amen because of his word, but he's but also because everything he speaks is truth. Do you remember what Jesus said about himself in John 14, 6? I am the way, what? The truth and the life. He is completely trustworthy, perfectly accurate, and his testimony is always reliable. Whatever Jesus has said, listen, and let's clear something up this morning before I move on. And what... <laughs> When I'm talking about what Jesus said is trustworthy and true and accurate and reliable, I'm not talking about what somebody on television says. Like uh, somebody had posted this week online on one of the social medias uh, uh, a, a clip from a, a, a service that they were involved in. It's, it's, it's local. I'm, I'm not, I won't call it out. But anyway... Uh, Somebody got up in the church and started saying, here is the word of the Lord. And they started what, what is better known as prophesying, okay? And so, you know, just the, the Lord said this, the Lord said that, the Lord said this, the Lord said that. Listen, if anybody gets up and says that, that, that is not what I'm talking about. When I'm talking about Jesus is trustworthy, accurate, reliable, Listen, the Bible clearly teaches that if a prophet prophesies falsely, they, they are to be killed. That was, that was the, the, um, uh, the retribution for false prophets was death. And I promise you, there's, listen, there's some of these prophets that get it right from time to time, but as the old saying says, even a blind squirrel can find a nut every now and then, right? I, I, could, I could be a pretty good prophet. I've sat in my living room and said, I think he's about to hit a home run. And next pitch, boom, he hits it out of the park. And I'm like, huh? <laughs> look at that. I think I might already get in a profit game. You know? I've predicted scores of games to the, to, the, to the exact score. That doesn't make me a profit. That just makes me a good guesser. Right? So, but listen, all I, according to the Bible, all I need to do is get one prophecy wrong. I'm done. I'm toast. So listen, what, what I'm saying here is we don't listen to when somebody else says, well, the Lord told me this, okay? And hold that, okay, and hold that in the same regard as what we know definitively that Jesus' word has said. Now, if you're talking to somebody and they say to you something directly from Scripture, then you should listen to that. But we have to be careful about those who... Uh, who speaks the word of the Lord to us, and it's not the word from the Lord, it's, it's a word they think they hear from the Lord. Okay? Have to be... Now, can people have words of wisdom? Yes, that's different than prophecy, though. Okay? That's different from prophecy. Finally, Christ referred to himself as the beginning, if you look at the end of verse 14, the beginning of God's creation. So he states his credential. This letter is to the church at what? Laodicea. And it has much in common with Paul's letter to another church that we have a whole book about called the church at Colossae or the, or the book of Colossians. Now here's what's important. Colossae was not far from Laodicea. And I'm going to show you that in a minute because I'm going to throw a map up. And you know, if you're not into geography, just, just grit your teeth at that moment. So it's likely that the same heresies that were plaguing the church at Colossae had made its way down to Laodicea. Now, Colossians 4.16 tells us this, And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you read the, le uh, and, and see that you read the letter from Laodicea. All right, so you see there in the book of Colossians, we have this idea that some of the same issues that were transpiring in Colossae had made their way down to Laodicea. And what was the issue? I'm not going to get into the weeds here, but let me just kind of put it out there to you. It was called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism was one of a lot of different New Testament heresies. 
that taught, and here's what Gnosticism is, it taught that Christ was a created being. Okay? It taught that Christ was a created being. Okay? Now, that's totally outside of Scripture, right? How do we know that? Well, the Bible teaches us that. Colossians chapter 1, that's why verses 15 through 17 are there. Its proponents also claim that they possess, and this is what Gnosticism does, that they had some kind of secret and spiritual knowledge um, beyond the simple words of Scripture. Now, we see that a lot today. We, we got people who have stuff that they've got that nobody else has ever gotten before. Spirit, secret spiritual information. If you watch Christian television, and I pray to God that you don't, because most of it is garbage, just look. i tell you what, do this. This coming week, it's 260's TBN on, my, on, on Dish Network. Just flip over there at about 7 o'clock in the evening and watch for about two hours, if you can watch that much, and I promise you in that two hours, somebody's going to come on that network on their show, and somebody's going to tell you they've got some kind of secret knowledge. They possess some kind of secret that nobody else has ever had. And the other part of it is, you just got to send them a little money to get the secret. Sounds like used cars people to me. Sometimes. Uh, nothing against used cars people. That's a joke. So Paul wrote these words. He is the invisible, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions, or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is, watch, look, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So how could that heresy be true? that Jesus was created when the Bible says that he is before all things. He's existed before anything was created. So the firstborn is not limited to the firstborn chronologically, but refers to the supreme or preeminent one, the one receiving the highest honor. That's what it means by firstborn. Christ is thus the source of the creation and the supreme person in it. Okay, enough said about that. So, Jesus makes it very clear that he is no Colonel Harvey. Okay, that he's not that. He's the real deal. He possesses all the credentials. He has not come to peddle some elixir of the soul, but to expose the true condition of our souls, the true condition of this church, and then most of all, he's there to extend a real cure. So, he exposes their condition. So, look at verse 15 with me this morning. He, he exposes their condition. Look at, look at what it says in verse 15. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would you be either hot or cold? Now, I said this a little bit last week, so I won't belabor this much. Listen, sometimes this is taught or preached that, you know, God would either rather you be on fire for him or literally just kind of be out of the church altogether. Just don't even tell people you're a Christian. That's kind of sometimes the way that cold aspect is often treated. Okay, But that's not what is going on here. Jesus is, is saying, look what he says. He says, would that you were either cold or hot. Do you think Jesus would say to you, I'd rather you be on fire for me or just get the heck out of Dodge? You really think that's what Jesus is going to say? No. I want you to either be cold or I either want you to be hot. Now this word I know means more than just awareness. He knows what they have done. But he also knows why they've done it. A lot of times you might know why somebody's done something, but you don't know why they've done it. When Jesus says, I know, he not only knows what you've done, he knows why you've done it. The word works could also be translated witness. What was the condition of their witness? Look at verse 16. So, because you are lukewarm, you're neither hot nor cold, I will spit, vomit, spew you out, out of my mouth. And, and, and literally, in the Greek, 
the word there literally means, translated in English would be projectile vomiting. Anybody in here ever had projectile vomiting? That's terrible, isn't it? That's, that's even a bad thought pre-lunch right now. But that's, that's what he's talking about. So what is causing the condition? Our text has got clues all in it that, that reveal their condition. Many of the clues are self-evident, but one, and a key one, is not so self-evident. If we're to understand rightly this, as I said, this uh, really misinterpreted text, we must use a map and some history. So here we go. Map will be up in a second. Laodicea was a city rich with natural resources. All right? It was known for its black wool. That's interesting, right? Black wool. And their uh, eye salve. They had come up with this eye salve. They had also become the, they were kind of like New York City. They were the financial center of the Roman Empire. Huge banking center there. Though Laodicea was rich with natural resources, it did lack one very important natural resource. You know what that was? H2O. Water. No water. It's bad to have a city and no water. We were in Las Vegas two weeks ago, and I mean, this is like desert everywhere. And you're like, man, where does the water come from? I mean, like, they got Lake Mead, and it's, it's massive. It's huge. You got the Hoover Dam, but pretty much you drive around the outskirts of Vegas and go this place and that place, and guess what you see? Sand and mountains. It's, it's brown. There's no green, hardly, except where the subdivisions are. And Laodicea is a place that has no natural resource of water. So what did they do? They used a series of aqueducts to transport the water to the city. This needed resource came from two cities, okay, Hierapolis and Colossae. Sound familiar? Now, they were located 11 miles to the south. That's Hierapolis, 11 miles to the south. And then Colossae, uh, well, let me say this about Hierapolis first. Hierapolis is where they got their hot water. Okay, it, it had an abundance of hot water, and what was so good about Hierapolis is that their hot water also had calcium in it, which is a, a very beneficial mineral for our bodies, and, and was well known for its medicinal purposes. And then six miles to the south, or I mean, excuse me, six miles to the west was, uh, was Colossae, and Colossae was known for its refreshing cold water. Uh, now, cold water has, I don't guess I put that map in there. Well, oh, well, you don't get to see the map. But just trust me where their location is. 11 miles away, 6 miles away, aqueducts funneling, hot water in from Hierapolis, cold water in from Colossae. Now, this cold water, so remember what Jesus says, I want you to be hot, right? I want you to be like that medicinal hot water that's being pumped in from Hierapolis. So I want you, and what does Jesus say about us already in Matthew chapter 5? He says, we are the what? The salt of the earth. Okay? Salt is very beneficial for us. And so Jesus wants us to be beneficial like hot water is beneficial. But he also wants us to be beneficial like the cold water that comes in from, uh, from Colossae. And so here's just a few things. You may not think cold water is all that beneficial outside of um, just drinking. But uh, cold water can have so many benefits. It, it can improve uh, lymphatic circulation in your body. The lymphatic system, it's a network of vessels that run throughout the body that, that help take away waste. It kind of helps you with what's called autophagy. Uh, it removes bacteria and microbes from your cells, essentially cleansing your, your body. So that's what cold water can do. And even cold water submersion. And you're thinking, what are you talking about there? Cold water submersion. Yeah, like I'm talking about getting like your whole body except for your, you know, your head in ice cold water. Super beneficial for your body. It improves cardio circulation. You ever took, take a cold shower to wake up? Why does it wake you up? Because it gets the blood moving. It gets the blood moving in your body. 
It's fantastic for cardio circulation. Cold water immersion can also stimulate blood flow. When you immerse your body in cold water, uh, blood rushes to your, vital, to, to your vital organs. Your heart's forced to pump more efficiently, uh, pushing blood through all your vessels and supplying every part of your body with oxygen and nutrients that it needs. It reduces inflammation. And, and you're saying, why do you keep giving us all this information about cold water immersion? Because I'm just trying to make a point here like Jesus is trying. You see what Jesus is doing? These people knew the benefits of hot water and cold water because it was their everyday life. You see, Jesus was actually using their everyday experience to teach them, this is what I want you to be like spiritually. Why? Because when you are hot or cold, this is how you benefit other people. Are you following me? Uh, it reduces muscle infl inflammation. So if you've got sore muscles, tight muscles, and you, and, and you want to reduce that inflammation that's you know, inside your joints, cold water immersion can seriously help with that in so many different ways. It, it, it makes you happy. Cold water makes you happy. <laughs> There's a T-shirt, right? Cold water makes you happy. Why? Because it, it, it boosts all the feel-good hormones in your body. Uh, a 2000 study research found that cold showers can help treat depression symptoms, and if used on a routine basis, may be more beneficial than, listen, prescription med uh, medications. You want, a, you want a free piece of medical advice from somebody who doesn't have a medical degree? Take it for, I put that stipulation in there in case you try this. Take a 10-minute cold shower, as cold as you can possibly take it. Let the water hit you right at the base of the neck and the top of the shoulders for 10 minutes every night. It'll change your life. It'll change your life. The, the last thing that cold water immersion can do is that it can actually help you lose weight. So I... I, I am my own guinea pig. I love to experiment on myself in a lot of different ways. And so, I don't know. It's, it's been a little while ago since I did this. Maybe it was back when I was on sabbatical. So I told Brandy, I said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go in. I'm going to weigh myself. And I said, I'm going to eat whatever I want for the next seven days. And I did. I ate whatever I wanted. I said, but I'm only going to change one thing about my routine. I, I kept working. I kept my workout schedule. Didn't change my routine at all. I said, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take a 10-minute cold shower every night when I get home. See what happens. I just want to test the theory, see if this works. So I ate hamburgers, pasta. I mean, I, mean, I was eating carbs, just as many carbs as I could. At the end of those seven days, I lost five pounds. I didn't do anything but take a 10-minute cold shower every single night. Why do I tell you that story? Not so if you need to lose some weight, you'll go home and try. My point of it is, is that there, Jesus is using an everyday real-life situation for these people to say, listen, I need you to be like cold water and hot water. Why? Because there are people that are around you that are dying spiritually. There are people around you that are malnourished spiritually. And what do they need? They don't need lukewarm Christians. What they need is Christians that are either hot or cold. You see, what would happen is often is that the, by the time the water would get to Latidacea, they had an issue. The hot water got what? Lukewarm. And guess what? That calcium would build up in the water, and when they would drink it, it would induce vomiting. And then guess what? When the cold water that came from Colossae would arrive, guess what would happen? It'd be lukewarm. It wasn't refreshing they, they didn't get the, the benefits, the physical benefits, like they would if they drank it while they were in Colossae. And Jesus is saying, look, that's, that's the condition of your spiritual life. 
But here's, here's the issue, church. These people didn't realize that was the condition that they were in. They didn't realize that's where they stood spiritually. That's, that's the sad part of this story. And the sad part about this story is this story is sometimes true of our own life is that we don't realize that we're in the sad spiritual shape that we're in until one day Jesus comes and confronts us like he does in this text. He starts knocking on the door and he confronts us about our condition. What had, what had caused them to become lukewarm? Look at verse 17. We're almost done. For I say to you, I mean, for you say, I am rich and I have prospered and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Wow. <laughs> you think everything's great. You think because there's money in the bank, you're okay. You think because your kids are acting right, you're okay. You think because you go to church, you're okay. But listen, what you don't realize is that you are in a very terrible state spiritually. I want to say a couple of things about lukewarm people to you, and then I want, to, I want to give us some help, and then we're done. Lukewarm people, listen, they don't live by faith. Their lives are structured so they never have to. Let me ask you a question this morning. Think about this seriously. Think about this very hard. Do you live daily by faith? I mean, what I mean by that is this. When you wake up in the morning, your first thought is, God, if you don't come through today, I'm done. I'm toast. And I'm talking about in every area of life. I'm just not talking about spiritual. I'm talking about in every area of life. They don't have to trust God if something unexpected happens. Why? Because they have a savings account. They don't need God to help them. They have their own retirement plan in place. Again, I'm not saying anything wrong about, there's anything wrong about savings accounts or retirement accounts. But what I'm saying is, is that where is your trust? Are you, as a Christian, we live by faith. They don't genuinely seek out God. Uh, seek out what, uh, uh, seek out what life God would have them to live. Why? Because they've got it all figured out. They've got it all mapped out. Is that where God wants you to live? Is that not where God wants you to live? They don't depend on God on a daily basis. Why? Because our refrigerators are full for the most part. We're in good health. The truth is their lives wouldn't look much different if they suddenly stopped believing in God. Let me ask you that question. If today, all of a sudden, you said, you know what, I'm no, I'm no longer going to believe in God, would your life be any different the next second than it was the moment you said, I'm no longer going to believe in God? Lukewarm people will serve God and others, but there are limits to how far they'll go or how much time they'll give and how much energy they're willing to give. Lukewarm people are called, rad called radical, what Jesus just expects his followers to do. These people were wealthy, just like us. They were self-sufficient. They prospered through financial institutions. Listen, their prosperity was so great that there was an earthquake that happened in Laodicea, and it was devastating uh, in many ways, to, uh, to that city. And Rome sent financial help, a bailout package. And you know what happened? They sent it back. Said, we don't need your money. That's how, that's how financially well off they were. Hey, we don't, need, we don't need your bailout package. We're good on our own. They had a flourishing textile industry. They had, they had clothes like you wouldn't believe. I mean, it was the Paris, the New York, it was the fashion capital of the world. Like I said, they had become the center of, of ophthalmology, of eye care uh, back in that day, and people came from all around seeking the treatment for various eye disease. So they were rich, and they, need, they needed nothing, and this 
is the very condition that produces lukewarmness. What is it? It's pride and it's arrogance. Here's the question we all need to ask ourselves this morning in closing. Do we realize how desperate our need for Christ is on a moment-to-moment basis? And are we living, no matter what our bank account says, no matter what our refrigerator says, no matter what, kind of clo- no matter what the tag in our clothes says, do we live our lives in such a way that we are utterly and totally dependent on the Lord? And if, we, if we're not, then we need, to, we need to examine our hearts and maybe, maybe Christ is knocking on the door of our hearts this morning because not because we need to be saved, but because we have fallen into lukewarmness. Listen, you don't need fellowship with Jesus when, when, when you don't need anything. Right? Our fellowship with Jesus is predicated on a need. Did you know that all fellowship is predicated on a need? You don't fellowship with other people and without a need. The need of companionship, the need of conversation, the need of something. That, that's what is required for fellowship to happen. We have to have a need. And that's why Jesus says, I've come here to what? Sup with you. I've come here to be in this relationship with you. You have moved off. You have moved away from the source that enables you to be cold and refreshing or hot and beneficial. So, where do you find yourself this morning? Self-sufficient? Self-sustained? prideful, arrogant, you don't need to reach out or you won't reach out. Maybe your life's really falling apart, but but your arrogance is, and not your arrogance, but maybe your pride is so great that you're just unwilling to reach out for help because you really think that you can keep it together. And listen, lukewarm people feel secure because they attend church. They've made a profession of faith. They were baptized, they came from a Christian family, they vote Republican, or they live in America, or whatever it might be. And none of those things. Just because you come to church doesn't mean that you're not lukewarm. Just as the prophets in the Old Testament warned Israel that they were not safe, just because they lived in the land of Israel, so we're not safe just because we wear the label of Christian. So what's the cure? Are you ready? ABC. Can y'all remember ABC? So last week was prep. ABC is real easy. Accept the cure. What's the cure? Revelation 3.18 is the cure. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and the salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. So accept the cure. Confess this arrogance, this pride. Accept Jesus' cure. But listen, the only way you can really accept the cure is that you've got to believe that he cares. You've got to believe that Jesus really does care about you. That, that that, 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 That his confrontation of your life and of the way that you live your life is not a negative and it's not hatred. But it's, but it's love. It's, it's care. He wants, listen, I started out the service by quoting Matthew chapter 11, where Jesus says, Come unto me, all you are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for it is easy and my burden is light. What, what is Jesus saying? He's like, look, trade this for this. And all of these, and you know, and this wealth and this self-sufficiency, that's not, that's not how Jesus has intended for his people to live. That's really not how he's intended anybody to live. But especially those who claim the name of Christ, he has called us to do what? To accept the cure, which is I'm poor, pitiful, wretched, and blind, and I have need of you every moment of the day, no matter what 
anything else in my life says. We have to genuinely believe that He cares for us. Revelation 3.19, He says, Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. What does Jesus want us to do? We've got to believe that when He tells us to repent, that's, that's for our good, that's for our benefit. Listen, can I give you three words that should keep you out of lukewarmness every day of your life? Are you ready? God loves you. Done. You, you, you want to stay out of, the, out of the place of lukewarmness and be cold and hot, then how do you do that? Live by those, believe those three words. God loves you. That's a mind-blowing truth. It will get you out of lukewarmness, and it will keep you out of lukewarmness. And listen, if it does not, then guess what? You don't understand the love of God. You just don't. And so, I got help for you. Write this verse down. And listen, can I go ahead and tell us all, we don't, none of us have this down. None of us really understand the love of God. Why? Because we're in and out of this. This is a pattern in our life. So what do we do? Here's a prayer. This is a prayer. This is Paul. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with the power through his spirit in your inner being. Now watch, here's where it, here's where it turns, 17. So that you may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have what? The strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, what is the length, what is the height, what is the depth, and to know the love of God that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. So what does Paul tell us? Paul gives us this prayer because what does Paul know about himself and what does Paul know about us? That you and I really don't believe like we should believe and like what we can believe that God really does love us. Admit your condition, believe that he really cares, and then lastly, this is easy, just come to him. He's at the door. He's knocking. Right? It's what verse 20 says. Behold, I, I stand at the door, and I knock, and I love it. It says, if anyone hears and does what? Opens the door. Even though you have treated his great love and mercies with lukewarm love, Jesus still says to you, come. He's the one knocking. Do not, this, do not this morning doubt his invitation or his sincerity. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes with me. And if those of you watching online, if, if you'll do this as well, I want us to take just a moment here, okay? David, if you will, just, just, just come on and start playing. Here's what I want us to do this morning. Some of us may have said, you know, I should have responded last week. And some of you left here last week. lazy spiritually not boiling in the spirit and yet here you are again hearing the word the words of Jesus leave your independence leave your self-sufficiency because if you're truly a Christian and only you know that only you know the true condition of your heart 
this is not the life that you've been called to live. This is the frustration with your spiritual existence. This is why you often find yourself in these lukewarm places. It's because you will not live by faith. And part of the reason why we won't fully live by faith is there's just something in the back of our minds that really doesn't believe with all 100% and with, and with great certainty that God really loves us. That He'll really take care of us. That He really does what is best for us. And so this morning, it's, the response is, is simple. It may not be easy, but it is simple. And the response is simply this. Repent. Just confess before God. Your, your, your pride, your arrogance, your, your, uh, your independence, your self-sufficiency, whatever, whatever, ever how that's labeled in your life. And then ask the Lord to help you more and more day by day to relinquish all control and to really live a life by faith and simultaneously ask him this Lord I know I'm only going to be able to do this to the degree that I understand the height, the depth, the length the width of your love so can you today begin to show me really what that looks like because I confess my understanding may not even be elementary it may be just nursery level this morning it may be enough to understand to bring me to salvation but it has not been enough to move me on in, in, in my sanctification And so, as David sings, I'm not gonna, I, I don't want you to sing this morning. I just really want to give you these next few moments uh, that this song provides an opportunity for whether in your seat or at this altar to come and to pray and to do this serious business before the Lord so that you can leave here this morning refreshed. God, Father, in your great mercy, do the work that only you can do. But Father, this morning, I'm asking right now that you would just prick hearts so that people would come to the door. That's their duty this morning. Come to the door. You've already come. You're knocking. You're there. You want the restoration of, of that relationship. And the only way we can do it is to come to the door and admit our sin so that you can pour out grace and mercy and your love upon us. Would you do that in these moments ahead in Christ's name? David's going to sing. You're going you're gonna to do business with the Lord.